You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. People are full of anxiety, uncertainty. Anxiety is real. And David's honest that he struggles with anxiety. And so, Lord, I, I want you to search my heart And you know all of the anxiety that I struggle with, the fear in my heart, the anxieties in my heart. You search my heart. It's easy to allow anxiety to take over our hearts and minds, especially with all the worldly distractions surrounding us. In today's message with Pastor J.D., we will learn about how David reaches out to the Lord with humility and asks Him to reveal any wicked ways in his heart. We too can pray this prayer and the Lord will set us free. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor JD in the book of Psalms chapter 139 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. David had a heart for God. A heart after God's own heart, meaning that his heart pursued the things that God's heart were after. He was after what God was after. He hated what God hated. He loved what God loved. He pursued what God pursued. His heart was knit together with the heart of God. He had a heart for God, a heart after God's own heart. And now listen to what he says. And this should (laughs) explain it. And maybe fill in some of the blanks of what a heart after God's own heart looks like. Listen to what he says. This is a sincere prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. That's a dangerous prayer, by the way. Because you're basically saying, God, Put me to the test. And know my, and this is very interesting, anxieties. Here's David's prayer. Verse 23. Lord, I want you to do a, a thorough examination of my heart, deep within the recess of my heart. Because see, I can't know my own heart. That's what Jeremiah says. My heart's deceitfully wicked. Nobody can know how wicked our hearts truly are. But you know my heart. I don't know my own heart. I mean, man looks at the outward appearance, but if anybody knew that, it was David. But God looks at the heart. God knows our heart. And so God Because you know my heart, I want you to do a thorough examination, and I want you to put me to the test, and I want you to know the anxiety that I have. What? Anxiety? Hmm. That's interesting. That's a biggie, isn't it, in the day in which we live? People are full of anxiety, uncertainty. Anxiety is real. And David's honest that he struggles with anxiety. And so, Lord, I I want you to search my heart, 
and you know all of the anxiety that I struggle with, the fear in my heart, the anxieties in my heart. You search my heart. Now, verse 24, when you've done this thorough examination and search, I want you to see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What's he saying here? What's he praying here? You'll forgive me for saying it this way, but for lack of a better way of saying it, David is in effect giving God permission to do some heart surgery. (laughs) He's giving God permission and unfettered access to the deep recess of his unknowable heart, his heart that only God knows. And he's basically saying, God, hey, whatever you find in there that doesn't belong there, I don't even know it's there, get it out of there. Remove it. As only you can. And (laughs) I don't want any wickedness, any evil, any sin, anything taking up residence in my heart. And I'm saying to you, God, search my heart, and if there's anything like that in there, get it out of there. And lead me in the way everlasting. This psalm rises to the level of a Romans chapter 8, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter all about the love that God has for us. This unconditional love that David David has just so eloquently penned in this psalm. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, would say in Romans chapter 8 that there is no thing that can separate us from the love that God has for us, despite how He knows us. And oh, by the way, verse 1 of Romans 8 starts off this way, to kind of qualify it, set the stage. There is therefore now no condemnation, no more guilt for those that are in Christ Jesus. Yes, God knows what you did. God knows every ugly, evil detail about your life. He knows all the ugly sin in your life, and He still loves you. And He will never leave you, even after knowing that about you. That's how much He loves you, and nothing can separate you from that love. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers of darkness, nor any created thing. Nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. You know, this might seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, but it's not, sadly. God loves you. I mean, we we hear it maybe too much, you know, God is love, God loves me, I know God loves me. Okay. No, wait a minute. I'm going to say it differently. And sadly, we live in a day and age where this packs more punch. What if I said this? God likes you. He does? What happened? How is it? 
Where did we ever get to the place where the word like has more power and more of an impact than the word love? I know God loves me, but I don't think He likes me right now. Reminds me of my wife early in our marriage. She would say things to me. I was such a jerk early in our marriage. But God, God is so gracious. She would say, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Like, oh wow. I love you, but I don't like you right now. Do you realize that God really likes you? He's really into you. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded that God likes me. What if I said it like this? God's not angry at me. God's not giving me the silent treatment. Let me just try to bring it into terms that we understand in our day and age. He likes me. He thinks about me all the time. He's really into me. He really likes me. This might sound maybe over the top, but I'm going to say it nonetheless. I am personally of the belief that what David writes here is arguably among the most poignant and powerful words ever penned. I mean, it's poetic. I mean, the the book of Psalms is a poetic book. But, I mean, just the expression on the part of David to just even begin to describe this God that is that into us, that likes us that much. He likes us so much that every post on his Facebook page that we tag him in, he likes. I mean, he likes me. He thinks about me. Psalm 140, I don't know if we're going to make it all the way, so let's see how far we get. Again, this is a Psalm of David. To the chief musician, we're told. Verse 1, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. How about this imagery, verse 3? They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. By the way, selah is a pause, stop, consider, meditate, refrain in the song. Keep me, verse 4, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. 
They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me, Selah. I said to the Lord, verse 6, you are my God. Sometimes when you're reading the Word of God, it's maybe a good thing to, in your mind's eye, imagine where the emphasis is here, because it can really change the understanding. My belief is that the emphasis here is on the word you. You are my God. They're not my God. That's not my God. You are my God. I think about it the other way in the Old Testament, replete throughout the Old Testament, when God would have Moses speak through Aaron to say to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. I believe the emphasis was on I am the Lord. That golden calf that Aaron made for you when Moses was, you know, kind of taking a long time coming back down from the mountain, you thought he wasn't coming down. You like pressured Aaron. We, hey, we need another God. And so you, you basically forced him to take all that gold that you got out of Egypt and, and to make a golden calf, which was the one of the many gods that were worshipped in Egypt. That's where they got the idea, hey, we need a new God. And so Aaron takes the gold, makes this golden calf, and it's you can hardly believe it were it not recorded in Scripture. But Aaron has the audacity to say to the Israelites, after this golden calf has been made and is ready to be worshipped, he says, Behold, your God who delivered you out of Egypt. What? And then here comes Moses. And of course, well, you know the story, but I'll shorten it in the interest of time. This is his older brother now, understand. Aaron is Moses' older brother. Moses the younger brother. In the Middle Eastern culture, this is backwards, right? So Moses says to his older brother Aaron, very loosely paraphrased, what in the world did you do? And here's Aaron on the defensive and sort of humorous, if it wasn't so blasphemous. He says, you know, it's just, it's the craziest thing, right? You know, brother, (laughs) I took this gold, I threw it in the fire, and then poof, out comes this golden calf. I'm like, whoa. Really? Nice try. And then, (laughs) of course, the Ten Commandments, the tablets, were broken as they had already broken all ten of them. And it's like God saying, that's not the God that delivered you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God that delivered you out of Egypt. The emphasis is on I. I am the Lord your God. 
You're creating these graven images, these golden calves, and you're bowing down and worshiping them. No, I am the Lord your God. And David is saying, you are my God. You are my God. <laughs> you're mine. I, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, verse 7, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they may be exalted. Selah. In other words, don't let them get away with what they're trying to do. Don't allow them. And by the way, unless God allows them to do it, they ain't going to do it. Ask Job about that. I know we've talked about this before. Maybe we would do well to revisit it. Satan cannot do anything to us unless God allows him to. I think about when Jesus says to Peter, hey Peter, come here. So here's the deal, Peter. <laughs> Satan has asked for permission to sift you as wheat. I, I can almost imagine what Peter's thinking. Oh, oh you told him no, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I actually told him yes. And your faith won't fail. I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. His courage will fail not his faith. And I've allowed him, I've given him permission, just like God had to give Satan permission when Satan comes to God, approaches him, and says, hey, I have a deal. Let's make a bet. You've blessed this guy so much. No wonder he serves you is righteous before you, walks with you. No wonder. Ha, I'll bet you if you took the blessing away, the prosperity away, He'll curse you to your face. God's like, oh really? Deal. You're on. But you can't touch Him. You can do all this, but you can't touch Him. Satan goes right up to the line. Job doesn't curse him. Satan goes back. Okay, let's up the ante. I'll bet you if you let me start messing with him, take away his health. I've taken away his kids. I've taken away all of his wealth. He had a lot of wealth. Let me, let me take away his health now. He'll curse you to your face. He said, go ahead. He couldn't do any, not one boil on Job's body unless God said, okay, you can do that. Not one sifting of Peter unless Jesus said, okay, I give you permission. Now some of you are getting very uncomfortable right now because you're thinking, oh my goodness, so what, you mean God's going to let Satan kind of, you know, give him permission to do stuff to me? Yeah. 
Why would he do that? Oh, because in the end, it will be for his glory and your good, you'll see. Just wait, you'll see. It is going to be for his glory and your good. I was just talking with a couple about this and going through a difficult time and trying to encourage them. I said, you know, you're going to look back on this and you, you will have never imagined that you will, as hard as this is, you will one day on the other side of this look back on this and thank God for this. As hard as it was, as painful as the difficulty was, you will thank, I mean, you don't want to go through it again, but you would never trade what God did in it for anything because of the good that came, the work that God did in and through the difficulty that He gave the enemy permission to bring into your life. He allowed. And, and here David rightfully is praying and asking God, don't give them permission, O Lord. Don't, don't grant them approval for the desires of the wicked, the schemes of the wicked. Verse 9, as for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Now, the reason I'm kind of chuckling, it's in a sanctified way, is because, well, have you ever prayed like that for somebody Oh God, just I mean, just get him, God. That's kind of what he's doing here. Not exactly. You know what he's saying? Do to them what they're wanting to do to others, because maybe if they get a taste of their own medicine, they won't do it anymore. That's what he's praying here. I think it was Psalm, it was early in Psalm, Psalm 5 or something like that, when David prays, Lord, just crush their teeth in their mouth. You know, it's like, hey, it's biblical, I'm going to pray, God, that you'll crush them. Crush them. Give them, you know, like Gail Irwin says, give them lockjaw and nausea at the same time. I'm sorry. No, I didn't say I was just quoting somebody else who said that. Let's just move on. Verse 11, let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know, verse 12, that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study and we will continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. 
Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.